0: We are continuing our studies uh, through the book of Jude, with the theme of Contending for the Faith. And this evening's title is The Antidote for Apostasy. The Antidote for Apostasy. We have looked so far of how individuals and of false teachers uh, and preachers have infiltrated the church. And uh, Jude mentions very clearly what are their characteristics and what is also their end. But now he has also been speaking about, hey, if this is the scenario and these teachers are present. How should the church respond? How should the church respond to these individuals? Should we shout at them? Should we fire them? And what should the Christian believers do? And he's giving, been giving different, different. Instructions. If you notice in verses 17 to 19, (laughs) Jude provided a series of instructions designed to make sure that they stand strong in their faith. And this is what he said. He says, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, In the last days there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. And these are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. So he's reminded them, hey, don't be suddenly in a surprise at what's happening. Jesus himself mentioned that in the last days, this will happen. And once he has given these instructions in verses 17 to 19, he's also encouraged them to make sure that they stand strong in the faith that has been once and for all delivered to the saints. That's how he started off, isn't it? In the earlier verses, he spoke about we have to contend for the faith which has been once and for all delivered. Make sure that you know you do not you know, digress away from the truth. Even though these individuals with their falsehood may appear to be very appealing, he says, be careful about that. He has warned them. Now in verses 20 to 23, he is continuing these instructions. So let's read what verses 20 to 23 are saying. This is what it reads. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by their flesh. Now a lot of things that are mentioned over here, when you look at these verses, these are some questions that should immediately pop into our minds. Questions like, for example, what does he mean when he says, pray in the spirit? Or questions like how do Christians build up on their faith? How do they keep themselves in the love of God? These are questions that should definitely come into your minds. This is what the next slide is speaking about, the questions that would definitely have to be answered. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? How do Christians build up their faith? How does one keep oneself in the love of God, what mercy are Christians waiting for? What doubts could possibly the uh, the audience that Judas addressing have? And maybe is it uh, wrong? Is it a sin to have doubts? You know? And what does it mean to have mercy with fear? A lot of questions. This should these uh, verses should definitely raise. But when you're looking at this verse, <laughs> if you notice, and. There are four things that he very clearly mentions, very specifically says. He says, build yourselves up, pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, wait anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, building yourself. And then if you really look at the explanation of these verses, it would basically means you and I build ourselves up by doing these three things by praying, keeping, and waiting. In other words, when you are looking at these verses, verse by verse, word by word, the main thought in verses 20 to 21, which Jude wants us to understand is, there must be no complacency. You know, when he says, but you beloved, build yourselves up. What he's really saying is, hey, don't relax, you know, don't take it lightly. These are real situations that will happen. These are real situations that are happening even in the church today. So don't be complacent about your faith. Don't just say, yeah, I've received Jesus into my life some time back. And as a result, it's all okay. No, no, no. What he's saying is, you know, make sure that you build yourself up. The best thing that as believers we can do is to build up, if you were to say, our immune system. When there are viruses in the air, we speak about building up our immunity. And when there is the spiritual virus of these uh, false teachers that are infiltrated into the church, you and I need to build up resistance, build up immunity to these. And how do we build up? This is what these verses are going to speak about. So when he starts off verse 20 with this word, But you, beloved, Remember, every time there's a but in the Bible, it means there's a change of direction. Hey, this is how the apostates are. This is how the false prophets and the false teachers are. But you, beloved, should be different. Okay. Just as information for you, there are around over 4,000 buts in the Bible. Okay. Over 4,000 buts. Okay. So in case you want to do a study on buts, you know, you'll have plenty to think over. But what he's really saying over here is, you know, we must become doctrinally strong in order to recognize error and to effectively fight the battle for truth. This is how we build up a immune system. We need to be different don't be complacent about your faith. You need to be different. You and I need to stand firm to build ourselves up. Okay, So let's look at that in the next section where it says, we build ourselves up on your most holy faith. What does it mean? You pursue mutual edification, each one building one another up in the body that is our whole goal in life we build ourselves up in our most holy faith now a question would do now uh, with jude is uh, now possibly asking here is what faith is he speaking about when he says build yourselves up on your most holy faith okay is it their faith or is it the faith okay Now, Jude asked his audience in verse 3 to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints and his readers now are believers who have made this faith their own. So perhaps it is both. What he is saying here is build yourselves up in the basic doctrines, build yourself up in the foundational truths of scripture so that you would not be swayed by every wind of doctrine that comes in. You could also be speaking about build yourselves up in your own personal belief in who Jesus is and what he has come to do, your personal belief. The word, by the way, for building up in Greek indicates a placing of one layer upon another. It literally means to build upon something that has already been built. We notice, Peter writing says, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. So faith alone is not sufficient as it were. He says, don't stop there. You have to add, you have to build one upon the other. That is what Jude is emphasizing here. So to build up would suggest there has to be a, a growth. And in order to build up and to grow, we must be willing to spend time to study and to learn. Sad to say, there are a lot of people, once they've made a commitment to follow after Christ, they read their Bible, yes, a, but there's not much of a commitment to study God's Word, to build themselves up in the faith. Remember, you spot a counterfeit by not studying the counterfeit, you spot a counterfeit by studying the original. And that's what Jude is saying here. Build yourselves up in the faith so that when a false faith comes along, you'd be able to easily spotted, okay. When Jude is using here the phrase holy faith, okay, remember this phrase is only found here in scripture, holy means separate or set apart. So the faith that Jude is speaking of of is a faith that is distinguished, a faith that is set apart. A faith that has been once and for all delivered to the saints. This is a unique faith. Don't let anybody come around and water that faith down. Don't let anybody come around and say, hey, all, you know, everything is all the same. No, this is a unique faith that God is asking us to build ourselves up. The uniqueness of the Christian faith, we must have answers from scripture to the questions and doubts that people may have so that we are built up in the faith. Now, how does a Christian primarily build themselves up? How does they do that? If you notice in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 and 2, it speaks about like newborn babes longing for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Okay, so he says like newborn babes, and you know, let us learn to Drink from the milk of his word. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, it says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. It is God's word that enables us to be built up. It is not other books. It is not what people are talking about. It is not new thinkings that people are coming up with. No, we build ourselves up on what God says in his word. In a word, we can say that the best defense against false doctrine is sound doctrine for it is only God's truth that can effectively counter Satan's lies. Remember ultimately the battle for truth is fought in the mind. What we believe in our minds It is going to be expressed in our hearts and in our lives. So in our minds, we must be sure of what we really believe in. This is why John Hannah made this statement. How can you live out your faith without truly understanding it? How can you live out your faith without truly understanding it? Have you understood the Christian faith? Yes, you say you're a Christian. Yes, you have made your commitment to Christ. But you need to spend time building yourself up in the faith, understanding what this is all about, because this is how you and I grow in our walk with God. That is the primary thing. Then if you notice, it says praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit. How do we build ourselves up in the faith? We said the first important thing is the word building ourselves up from the doctrines of his word. The second important thing is to practice focused prayer, practice focused prayer, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, again, this phrase is, this is the only place where this phrase comes, in. A totally praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, as soon as we have this phrase, there are a lot of people who think that this is referring to speaking in tongues. Now, this is not what it is really you know, spoken about. Praying in the Holy Spirit does not refer to speaking in tongues. Because if you notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 30, the next slide asks us this question all do not speak with tongues, do they? Okay. Scripture is very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 30, everybody doesn't speak in tongues. So this is not speaking about speaking in tongues. Now praying in the Holy Spirit <coughs> is praying out of hearts and souls that are indwelt, illuminated, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, That is what praying in the Holy Spirit is all about, praying out of hearts and souls that are indwelt, illuminated, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now now, when you are speaking about praying in the Holy Spirit, it also speaks about the instrument or means. We pray by means of the Holy Spirit, okay. We pray by means of the Holy Spirit. Now the Bible tells us, if you notice in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, that likewise the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, here again, a lot of people will use this verse to say, hey, this is what speaking in tongues is all about. No, but this is not what is spoken of here. When the scripture is speaking about pray in the Holy Spirit. Again, if you notice in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, it says with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. What does this really mean to pray at all times in the spirit? Basically, it means by means of the spirit, allow the spirit of God to so work in our lives. And as Romans says, we do not know what we should pray for but it's the Spirit of God who helps us. He helps us to align our will with God's will so that we are asking what he wants, what he desires, not what we want. And that is what praying in the Spirit is all about. There's a combination over here, build ourselves up in God's word, knowing what God wants us to do then we pray in the Spirit, we are asking the Spirit of God to enable us to apply what God is telling us in our lives so that our will would be aligned to God's will. (coughs) If you notice, Billy Sunday, a well-known evangelist of yesteryear, used to give his converts three rules for success in the Christian life. He said each day they were to read the Bible. And let God talk to them. Then they were to pray, in other words, they were to talk to God. And then they were to witness and talk to others about God. And that's what Judas is mentioning over here. First, build yourselves up in the truth of God's word. Then, you speak back, you know, you ask to apply that into our lives. How do we do that? Pray in the spirit. Ask for wisdom on understanding the word and understanding how to apply. And then once you have done that, let your life and witness share it with others around us as well. So if you notice the Christian's building process, okay, when it says build yourselves up, okay, basically saying three things the word of God the Spirit of God and prayer in the Spirit. So how do we continually pray in the Spirit? By continually depending on the Holy Spirit of God, by continually being filled with the Spirit of God, by continually being controlled by the Spirit of God. So putting it all together, we can say that praying in the Spirit means following the Spirit's guidance as and when and how to pray. Be constantly dependent upon the Spirit of God. That's how you build yourself up, right during the day, okay? When the Spirit of God lays something upon your heart to pray, pray. Ask for wisdom on how to pray. When you read God's Word, pray to understand it and to apply it in your life. That is what it means when it says, pray in the Spirit. And when we do this, have God's Word and then the prayer together as a unit we find that there is growth, we are able to build ourselves up. The third thing that Jude is mentioning for the building process is to protect redemptive relationships where he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep it, protect it, get okay, this relationship in our relationship with God. What God has done for us, redeemed us to himself by the death of his son on the cross, protected, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, when it says keep yourselves in the love of God, it does not mean that salvation depends upon our efforts, because we have already learned in the beginning of this study that we are kept and preserved by God himself, isn't it? But instead, what the scripture is telling us here is that we must be occupied with God's love for us and our love for him and our fellowship with him. This is why, if you notice in John chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, this is what Jesus said. He said, Just as the father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Again, keep. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in His love. Now, if you notice, the word that is used here for keep is a command. You know? It's a command. It's a strong and you know, uh, a strong imperative statement. It's a command that has been given to us. The ESV Study Bible has an excellent comment that links in you know, a. The four words that Jude uses over here together, what they say really is Christians keep themselves in God's love by growing strong doctrinally, persevering in prayer and waiting for the Lord's command. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? The three things that we do grow strong doctrinally in the word of God, persevere in prayer and then wait for the Lord's coming. Two important sections, if you were to say, are two sides of the same coin. Now, God's sovereignty and our responsibility. God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Romans 8, 38 to 39 makes it very clear that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Isn't it? That's what it's very clearly mentioned. But Jude 21 is now saying, keep yourselves in the love of God god is saying this is what i'm doing for you nothing can separate you from my love but jude is now saying if we have to grow in our walk with god build ourselves in our walk with god we must be willing to keep ourselves in god's love how would we do this practically psalm 97 and verse 10 psalm 97 and verse 10 tells us hate evil you who love the lord who preserves the soul of his godly ones he delivers them from the hand of the wicked how do we keep ourselves in the love of god by hating evil by hating evil so if you notice in this verse itself jude is putting both these things together god's sovereignty and man's responsibility yes god keeps us jude chapter jude verse you know one told us about that that god keeps us and you know, he preserves us you know, but here he is also saying we need to keep ourselves okay now we must remember this is the truth that we can never accomplish the latter part of keeping ourselves you know, in the love of god without the first one of god keeping his love for us or his provision for us isn't it both these things are very much together now just to get this a little clearer william Macdonald gives an illustration to help us to understand what it means to keep ourselves in the love of god he says the love of god can be compared to sunshine the sun is always shining but when something comes between us and the sun we are no longer in the sunshine that is how it is with the love of God. It is always beaming down upon us. But if sin comes between us and the Lord, then we are no longer enjoying His love in practice. Okay, So we can keep ourselves in the love, first of all, by living lives of holiness and godliness. That is what it really means to keep ourselves <laughs> in the love of God. Now, the fourth thing that he mentions over here so that we can build ourselves up in the faith is that we must pant for eternity, waiting anxiously. Now, when it says waiting anxiously, it's not a question of in fear, but waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. If we are keeping ourselves in the love of God, our mindset will not be on this earth our mindset would be like the book of revelation says even so come lord jesus that will be our heart's desire and this mindset of his coming should motivate us for holy living because who we are looking forward for impacts who we are living for let me say that again who we are looking forward for impacts who we are living for, either it could be for this futile, fading world, or it could be for the future forever world. So what does it really mean when it says waiting anxiously, waiting anxiously? Remember the apostates have no hope, isn't it? What are they waiting for? Are they waiting expectantly for the judgment, for the condemnation? <laughs> Now, you cannot wait expectantly for the condemnation, but as believers, we can wait expectantly for the mercy of God, which should be (coughs) revealed. Now, the word that is used there for waiting anxiously, as I mentioned to you earlier, a better word or a better understanding could be expectant, okay? Because when we say anxious, it conveys to us a sense that we are, you know, somehow worried about his coming back again. But no, no, that's not what it means. It basically means that we are anxiously, expectantly, in a positive sense, you know, looking forward for his coming. Maybe the best word picture that you can you know, understand for this word expectantly is like putting out the welcome mat, putting out the welcome mat. You know. The picture here is you know, of a home that is waiting for a guest to come in, Okay, putting out the welcome mat and you know, making sure everything is ready, looking forward, waiting for the guest to come. That's the word picture for waiting expectantly. And even the tense that is used there for waiting is a present tense. In other words, it means let it be our continuous practice, you know? Don't put it off and say, you know, maybe he may come, maybe he may not come. No, no. Don't say he will come in the sweet by and by and you know, expect that today, tonight he can come back again. And as a result, we are looking forward for his coming. If this is our desire, if this is our expectancy, then our lives are going to be definitely strong and built up. You know? Remember, the Bible speaks about Christ coming again and, and again plen- and, and plenty of verses, isn't it? For instance, 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament state that he is coming back again. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament either speaks directly of his coming or of the end times surrounding his coming. And for every biblical reference to Jesus' first coming, there are eight that point to his return just as much as his first coming was certain eight times more his second coming is certain so let's wait expectantly if we do this then we are built up in him this is what in titus chapter 2 verses 11 to 14 we read isn't it titus chapter 2 verses 11 to 14 when it speaks about looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior Jesus Christ, looking forward for that, looking forward for that. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 27 to 28 tells us even all creation is looking forward for that, the anxious longing of creation. And if you find in Romans chapter 8 verse 19 and Hebrews 9, 27 to 28 speaks about how the Lord will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. To those who eagerly wait for him. So, if we are looking forward for his coming, they're looking forward for that salvation so that this body of sin is going to be removed, so this body of death is going to be removed, then we make sure that we are building ourselves up in him, in our relationship with him, so that we will definitely be strong. So this truth actually has a very strong and powerful application. What you are looking forward for will radically impact who you are living for, what you are looking forward for. Ask yourself this evening this question, what are you really looking forward for the future? Sometimes you have great big plans for the future. And based on that, you know, that's how we live here on earth. But the scripture is saying, look forward for his coming so that you would not put your tent pegs too deep on this earth, because our citizenship is not on earth, but in heaven. So he says, don't be complacent, build yourself up in the faith. Okay, that's the first part of it. Then in verses 22 to 23. He says, what about these individuals who are being taken off you know, by you know, these false teachers? God has shown mercy on us, his grace upon us. So what should you and I do? We should also have mercy on these individuals who are being led astray. So he says, don't abandon, abandon the flock, okay, you know, but have compassion towards these people. Three types of groups that he mentions. The first group is the doubters. Or those who are wavering. Those who are doubting is the first category. Those who are uh, unsaved is the second category. And those who are sinfully dangerous is the third category. So let's look at these three classes of people. Okay. So when he starts off and says, and have mercy on some, he's saying just as much as you're building yourselves up, that's one part of it. Okay. Don't just say, I'm on my way to heaven. That's all that matters. No, that is one part of it. You build yourselves up. But on the other hand, these individuals who are on the road to destruction, what should you be Doing about it as well. Now, there are some who would say that these three categories are all unbelievers. Some will say all these categories are believers. Some will say the first one is a believer, the other two are unbelievers. Whatever it may be, our responsibility is to make sure that we are showing mercy to these individuals who are being led astray by these false teachers. They are in the church. They may be believers, they may not be believers, but this is what God is asking us to do, (laughs) okay? Now, the first group is on, have mercy on some who are doubting. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Now, a question may arise, is doubt wrong? Is doubt a sin? We must ask ourselves, how do doubts come in? Basically, because it is what is sown into our minds, isn't it, you know? Somebody said something, raised a question, or we read something on the internet. Now today we have so much of avenues for wrong information. And we may click on something, have, you know, have your own queries, or somebody passes on some you know, uh, material, books, or links to you. And then you read that stuff, and you can have doubts that are stirred up in your minds, isn't it? So what are some of the top causes for doubt? in the lives of Christians. Ask yourself, do you have any doubts? You know, you know. how do those doubts come in? Okay. Now remember there are honest doubts An honest doubt is when the doubt comes in, you're looking for the right answer in God's word. And then as you find God's you know, word giving you the answer, your doubt then moves from a question to uh, exclamation or to understand this truth and you can say, Eureka, I found it. This is the answer to this doubt and your faith is strengthened. But doubts for doubt's sake, you know, questions and questions and questions and questions. What will happen? You know, finally, one day you will say, I don't really believe in anything anymore. So you need to be careful. About doubts that come in. It's not to say don't ask any questions, don't have any doubts, but allow those doubts to move from questions to answers. Don't let it pile up. Otherwise, you will find that your faith will be in danger. Okay. What could be some of the top causes of doubt in the lives of Christians? Maybe false teaching. Okay. It could be false teaching. That is one part of it. When there are so many. Uh, individuals who call themselves Christians, and they say, this is what the Bible says, but then you believe differently, and as a result, you have doubts, you know, different doctrines that are being taught, different new uh, theology that are coming in, and as a result, you may have doubts in your mind. But if you notice, you know, Jude has mentioned the faith that was once handed down to the saints. In other words, you know, there is a foundation, there is a truth. And Satan, if you notice, will always want to come and raise a question to say, did God really say? That's how it happened in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? So we must be careful. Once we know the truth, base our foundation in God's word, the faith that has been handed down to us, make sure that when doubts come in, you, know, you do not you know, entertain it with more doubts. You know but find answers so that you'll be able to overcome those doubts and be strong in your faith. It could also be pain and suffering that you go through, okay? Maybe there were times that you believed that, yes, God will definitely answer prayers, and then you ask God, it didn't work out. Or maybe a calamity happened. or oh, you're wondering, God is a God of love, why is all these things happening? not to the world around, but when it starts happening to you, you wonder, you have questions, you have doubts about your faith. Why did those doubts come in? Because he basically thought that if you believe in God, then everything should go very well to you. That's a false gospel. The Bible never promises that everything will be well here on earth and you will prosper. The scripture tells us, in fact, you know, you will have suffering, you will have tribulation. So, it could be because of, you know, the problem of evil and suffering when it comes to you. Sometimes you may have questions like this because of what's happening in the world and you may say, God did not do anything about it, you know. Covid has impacted the entire world. What did God do? How is God allowing all these people to die? And you may wonder, is there really a God? If those doubts start coming in, do not allow those doubts to infiltrate into your mind, but literally allow yourself to clear those doubts, find answers. What does the Bible really say? In fact, the word that is used there for doubt, you know? Is uh, literally means to judge between two. To judge between two. There are two options out over there, and you need to make a choice. Okay. Now, the world may say something, your mind may say something, God's word will say something. And when you are saying you have that doubt, you know, you have to decide where you're going to choose what God's word says or what people are (laughs) saying. So, those who are doubting. The scripture tells us over here, have mercy on them, have mercy on them, because you may also have those doubts if you're not careful, if you don't deal properly with it, you can also go down and out. So have mercy on them and help them to find answers to their doubts, questions that they have so that they don't lose their faith and cross over to the other side. Secondly, he speaks about save others, snatching them out of the fire, save others, snatching them out of the fire. Now this group you know, is not just standing on the outside, they have now come in a little more closer to the fire of the false teaching and they are just about to jump in as it were into this group, into this new cult, into this new theology. You know? And the scripture is saying here, save them, pull them out, snatch them out of the fire. Okay. Now, the word that is used there for save has the basic meaning of rescuing one from in a great peril. Snatching, that's the word that is used here. It translates into the word harpazo in Greek and presents the strong image of seizing something or taking something or somebody by force. That's what the word meaning is when it says snatch them out, pull them out by force, pull them out by force. It's like a building is on fire and you know, instead of standing outside and looking at what is happening, you know, you try and get in to pull them out. Okay. Apparently, these would be individuals who have left the fellowship and are now part of this apostate group and they need to be snatched out of the fire maybe they stopped coming to the fellowship stopped coming to church started attending these other cult meetings okay remember the angels took lot by the hand and pulled him out of sodom isn't it and that's what you know we may need to do with some of these individuals who are right at the very edge who are falling into this fire save others snatching them out of the fire. Now, the only way to rescue such people is to crush and destroy the false ideologies they have been infected with before it is too late. And the only way we can do this, it is with the truth of God's word. Okay. Now, how do we do this? Okay. Spend time explaining to them, hey, this is what this cult is believing, this is what this false teacher is saying, this is what the word of God is saying, helping them with the truth. Remember, the only way to combat the lie is with the truth. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6 speaks about, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what God is asking us to do, taking every thought captive. They have thought differently, sitting down with them, helping them to get into the right understanding of That's the second stage. The first stage is they're having doubts. The second stage is they've started believing these false teachers and started going for their meetings, started believing what they are teaching. Your job and mine is to sit down with them to address their wrong teachings with God's teaching. The third group that is mentioned over here is uh, our response has to be on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. First one was, have mercy on those who are wavering, on doubting. But now the third group is, on some have mercy with fear, holy trepidation towards the end snad. In other words, they are already now caught up in the snad. You know, the second group was at the tip, if you were to say, in the fire. Now here they are right in the very pit. Okay. Now, what should we be doing when it says, have uh, on some have mercy with fear? Now, the phrase with fear means with caution. In trying to help those who have erred, we must be careful not to be trapped ourselves. Okay? Many a would-be rescuer has been drowned himself, isn't it? Okay? So when an unstable believer has been captured by false doctrine, we must be very careful as we try to help him, for Satan can use him to defile us and in trying to save him we may be stained or burned ourselves this is why jude is saying over here be careful hating even the garment that has been polluted by sin if you notice in galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 he says "Now who can do this job for the third category if anyone is caught in a trespass you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself so that you, too, will not be tempted, okay? Again in one, uh, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 6, Jesus said, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Be careful, be careful. One Corinthians 5, 6 says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Be careful, he says. Now, the third category, we must take care. Not everybody can get into it and have a debate with them and discuss and try and get them to see reason. When it says hating even the garment polluted by the flesh, Jude here is using extremely graphic and coarse language to highlight the degree of danger involved in this type of outreach to those who are involved in sin. And the word that he uses for garment refers to the undergarments that are stained, the undergarments that are polluted, the undergarments that are stained. In other words, he's saying, be careful of what is happening inside of their lives. It's not just the external, you know, be careful of what is happening inside. Remember, when we learned about the false teachers, we spoke about their sexual immoralities and their attitudes, what is happening inside of them. He says, be careful, otherwise you too will adopt those same attitudes and begin to behave like them. Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 to 4, Jesus speaking to the church in Sardis says, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, who have not soiled their garments. Garments here, remember, is the inner garment, you know. So what Jesus is saying here is their inner lifestyle is pure. It's not just the external. The Lord is not looking only at the external, He's looking at the internal. And the Lord looks at this church and says, there are few who have not soiled their garments. They are right in their attitude before me. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, Paul writing says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. If a person says, no, I'm not going to succumb to any of these false guys and I can do, you know, I can get involved with them and you know, nothing will happen to me, take care, take care. You know. Be careful, be on guard. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17 says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Be careful, be careful. So this group has moved so far away from the faith that they are dangerous even to the faithful he says be careful now the interesting part in all this section it is is that you know as much as jude has given us a blunt description of false teachers you know, he gives us neither a command to confront these troublemakers he only says avoid them he doesn't give us a plan of disciplinary action he says basically god has already condemned them that's not your job but he's saying those individuals who are now being led astray by these false teachers, you and I have a responsibility. Why? God has been merciful to us. If it was not for the grace of God, We would also be in their tracks, maybe God has been merciful to us. He has shown his abundant grace and favor upon our lives. So it is our responsibility to make sure that we build ourselves up in the faith so that we know our doctrine, we know our base, we know our foundation. And then we are also able to help other individuals who are being led astray by these false teachers. Okay. Let me conclude with a couple of concluding thoughts. What is it that you wait eagerly for anxious longing for Christ's return should result in a desire to live a pure and godly life you know since all these things are to be destroyed in this way what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness is what second Peter chapter 3 and verse 11 says okay now we must be willing to have this hope that is there for looking forward for the future. And that will determine how we are living today. Secondly, how ready are you to help those in doubt or those blinded by false teaching or those entangled in sin? Can you live out what Peter asks, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence? Would you be able to give a reason for the faith that is in you? When people have questions, when people have doubts, would you be able to answer them? Would you be able to help them in need? Thirdly, ideas have consequences and false teaching can lead to eternal consequences. A lot of new ideas, but be careful. False teaching can lead to eternal consequences. couple of application questions this evening before we close. Number one. The idea of building here is not one where we seek to build ourselves up on our own, but where we build each other up. What are some ways in which we can build each other up in faith? What are things that prevent this, prohibit this? How would increasing the faith of each other keep us in the love of God? Secondly, how are we to treat and think of the ungodly in the church? And is there a difference in treatment if it is a leader who is ungodly? Think about that. Thirdly, is praying in the spirit something that can only be done at certain times under special circumstances? And how does praying in the spirit keep us in the love of God? Fourthly, waiting is not something that we like to do. And especially when we say we have a lot to do, we are so busy. What is it that we have to wait for? How should this waiting affect our lives? How should it affect the way in which we relate to suffering, to evil, to frustration, to poverty, either our own or of others? How is it that this keeps us in the love of God? Fifthly, the first group that Jude mentions is those who doubt. Have you ever had an experience where you were told that doubting was evil or wrong? How can this verse help us with our? own doubts. Read the story of Thomas and Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. How did Jesus respond to his doubt? How does Jesus answer the disbelief of Thomas? And what are common doubts and questions that people have about Jesus and Christianity? And in what ways could we answer doubts and questions that people have? Seventh. What are our attitude and actions toward those people who are in the fire? Why is it easy to judge such people and not to love them and show them mercy? Pray that you will be filled with the mercy of God. And finally, number eight, what is your attitude toward people who are less spiritual or who are struggling in the faith? Do you have a heart of mercy toward them? What kind of attitudes do you need to address? And how does a fuller understanding of your place before God help this? Ask God to help you address any areas of arrogance or superiority that you may have in your heart. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.